Standing up in McKinney, this is According to Callus, coming to you on the 17th of June. <laughs> I'm just teasing. It's actually July, the 17th of July, episode 455. Today, we're going to change things up just a wee bit. We're going to talk about your ultimate responsibility. You're a parent. What is your ultimate responsibility? You're supposed to raise up your children to create a posterity. Now I realize that not everybody has children. Not everybody's capable of having children <clears throat> naturally. I get it. But those of us who have children, those of us that um, take on other children or those of us that raise grandchildren, uh, and I'm not included in those last two, but we have a responsibility, a giant responsibility. One of the primary things that we're supposed to do is provide for them. And one of the primary things we're supposed to provide for them is education. So on this Monday, I want to talk a little bit about the responsibility of education for your child. And I, I have touched base on this more than one occasion. I think I'm going to be inherently consistent. But for those of you that uh, claim, or uh, sorry, claim Christ as Lord, right? For those of you that are Christians, self-defined, I'm especially directing this at you, at us, right? We're going to be held accountable differently than pagans. Now, there may be some pagans that listen or don't listen. And all I mean by the term pagan is somebody that doesn't believe in God and his son, Jesus, right? There's a whole lot of other people there that want to argue semantics or whatever else, but it's real simple. You either believe that Jesus died and rose for your sins or you don't. And if you don't, okay, that's your choice. Not necessarily my job to beat you up for doing that. Um, we're supposed to plant the seed and you all are responsible for your own actions. That's between you and God. But those of us who are on the same page, this episode is specifically targeting that issue. Now I'm going to pull a few, uh, Bible verses out to set the stage. And yes, I know they're not exactly fully in context, but I would encourage you go look them up and see if they're directly applicable or not. I would encourage you to put forth the effort and decide whether or not you think it's reasonable to have an expectation to do what I'm going to talk about. All right. So first example comes from Proverbs. For those of you that don't know, that is Old Testament, right? And there are certain segments of with our, within our churches that seem to think we should unhitch from the Old Testament. I am not one of those. So we're going to go to Proverbs 22.3. And again, I'm not expecting that you're all going to be exactly comfortable with this. And that's okay because I'm going to a, a, a bigger point here. We're going to use the uh, New American Standard Bible, right? Why not? Or you know what? I kind of prefer the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Let's go with that. Holman Christian Standard Bible says, a sensible person sees danger, takes covered, but the inexperienced 
keep going and are punished. So the uh, easiest way to see that, it, it, well, <laughs> this is funny, the Aramaic Bible in plain English, a prudent man sees an evil man being scourged and powerfully instructed, but fools pass him by and suffer the damage. Interesting. <laughs> Basically, we're supposed to observe what's going on around us and decide if we want to experience that or not. That, that'd be the simplest way of looking at that. I, I, I would imagine that we don't want to. All right. So let me jump to the next thing here. Same thing, Proverbs uh, 22.6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Seems pretty reasonable, right? Teach a youth about the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So it's basically the same in two different uh, areas here. Okay. Now, because, as I said, a lot of folks uh, not fans of the Old Testament for whatever reason, we're going to jump over to Colossians. Yeah, that's New Testament, baby. <laughs> I know the written author is credited to Paul, but if you are a Christian, you believe that he was divinely inspired to put down what he says. So keep that in mind. And uh, clearly I have, oh, there we go. Got to get the right chapter. Colossians 2, verse 8. Now this is talking directly about your faith, but I see no reason why this cannot be applied in other things. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary or elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So we believe that Christ is truth, right? And the truth is found through Christ. So if we just substitute truth for the word Christ, it seems to me that the whole thing is directly practical, right? Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on the human tradition, based on elemental forces of the world, and not based on truth. I mean, it's not a stretch. I think it's right there. Okay. Now we're going to jump over to Timothy real quick here. Also New Testament. First Timothy, no less. And let's go to chapter 5. Boom, boom, boom. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Hmm. Verse 8 again. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his household, he is denied to faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We'll try this again in different language. But if anyone does not provide for his own, that is, his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay, so now you're wondering, where are you going with this, Cal's? What What's the point here? Well, I'm trying to set the stage here because you have children and you're responsible for your children and you're responsible to prepare your children for their adult life, for their future. And one of the most important things we can provide them is an education, training them up, if you will. And if we're not doing that and we're not doing it well, then we're no better than an unbeliever. We we are worse than pagans because we didn't care enough about our children to sacrifice to get them where they needed to be so that they would be good disciples, that they would be 
good adults. And if they were trained up properly as adults, even if they deviate, they will come back home. I mean, that's the word of God. You can choose to believe it or not. I'm not going to argue that with you. What I am going to say is if you claim to be a Christian, this should be applicable to you. Now, let's look at the application, right? The specifics of this. I've talked about this before, the idea of homeschooling. Well, okay, that's great. If you're going to homeschool, that usually means that one of the two parents has a very good job and the the other parent does not need to work. Or they have an extended family that lives nearby or with them that allows them to not have to have everybody work. Or the grandparent in this or aunt or an uncle or whatever teaches the children in your absence. Thus homeschooling. You are insured at what they learn. You are insured they get a good applicable education. Now, I know there's some challenges when you get to the higher grades and certain requirements, but I'd be willing to bet that uh, there was a whole lot of concern about this. So a little over 250 years ago when all the founding fathers, by and large, were homeschooled until they went to the colleges. It seems to me we did just fine. The whole idea of self-education or education by family survived quite well until it was pressed out of vogue. Blame some of that on the Industrial Revolution and some of that over, uh, well, educational reformers. And here we are. All right. So the second argument, if you will, is, well, private school. You should be able to do private school. Don't put your kids in those secular dens of horror called the government schools or public schools. Okay. Again, this is something where at least, well, in this case, both parents can work. They must make enough money to not only pay the taxes for the public schools or the government schools, but they have to make enough money to afford to send their children to private schools. Now, I know that there are some private schools that are quite reasonable, whether they're subsidized by a church or whether there's some kind of partnership. And then there are others that are basically high-end prep schools that exist, well, quite frankly, to... Keep those kids isolated from other people. Not entirely a terrible idea, depending on where you live and what you want out of your educational system, but it's not without some drawbacks because the average person can't afford to send their children there. And again, I don't believe that's um, (laughs) something unknown. I think they're well aware of what they're doing. Again, I don't fault them for that. They have freedom of association. They should be able to do these things. But I'm not sure they're going to be able to help a whole lot of people if they price themselves out of the market. All right. And then that leaves us, well, let's call it the in-between, right? The co-ops, the hybrid, uh, all these schools or co-ops exist in the space between those two that allows for people to work, that allows for different family setups, generally significantly less money tied up in there. It's a very appropriate way to accommodate the needs and the desires for you to properly educate your children, bring them up, prepare them for life. So again, this does require some sacrifice. This does involve an investment, right? But again, we have to decide, are the children worth it? Is our posterity worth the investment? 
do we set aside some momentary gain for a long-term practical outcome? One would think that would be the ideal notion. The other part of this puzzle is as churches shrink for various reasons, let's face it, there's a whole lot of middle-class families that aren't having the same number of kids they once did. Uh, There's a whole lot of, let's call that semi-churched people that leave and go astray. There are a whole lot of people that watch their church go progressive, woke, and basically destroyed the church. And then, honestly, there's a whole lot of relocations. I mean, I used to live uh, near a place uh, called the South Side in Milwaukee. And the South Side of Milwaukee was filled with Polacks and some Germans. We would call them Southern Europeans, right? They were predominantly Catholic. There were some Lutherans, but predominantly Catholic. And you basically could go down the street and find a Catholic church here, there, and everywhere. And there was at least a half a dozen to a dozen Catholic elementary schools that were readily available. And that's because the Catholic church put a premium on education. The families put a premium on education and they sacrificed and subsidized in order to do that. Now, granted, most of them had nuns teaching and those teachers don't really cost anything. But if you want to have private educators, you want to have, you know, professional educators, they want to be paid. And I don't blame them for this. It's appropriate. But again, there's a a way forward here. There's something that could be done in lieu of this. And the Catholics did it well for a long time, but then their priorities shifted or their population shifted. If you go to the South side of Milwaukee now, uh, most of those folks are either grown up and grown out or their children went to the suburbs or their grandchildren are either not part of the faith or in the suburbs and doing something else. They've been replaced by, um, let's call them South American, Central American folks who by and large have the same faith, but have a little bit different priorities. Maybe, maybe. Uh, So a lot of those churches are struggling. The schools are closed down. And I understand why make that sacrifice, right? If you're going to get something for free, why would you pay for it? It's a a different mindset. Don't fault them for it. It's just the way we world we live in. And plus, those schools got a whole lot more expensive when you actually had to hire professional teachers as opposed to have nuns. Just saying. (laughs) So, Option number three, right? Or actually, I guess technically four. But the only other option is government schools. You you can't figure out a way to unschool or homeschool. You can't find a way to make a private school work. And even the co-ops or the hybrid schools are not a viable option for you. That leaves government education. Now, here comes the rub. You send your child to government education, they're not going to be taught what you expect them to be taught. They're not going to learn what you need them to learn. They're going to get whatever the baseline stuff is that the district or the state is determined needs to be done. They're not at all concerned about what you want or what you think is best. It's what the state is determined best. You are now vesting the child, right? Your posterity to the care of the state. That's a dangerous situation. Now, before we go any further, let me remind you that I'm going to give you right from the onset that 70% of all teachers that work in the school district are good people and they want to do a good job and they care about the students, even though 
they're not theirs or their families. And they have a vested interest in little Johnny and little Mary to grow up and be good little citizens and well-educated and well-adjusted. We're going to, we're going to say that the minimum threshold is 70%. We're also going to say that by and large, the majority of the school districts, the majority of the leadership in the school district, we're going to call it 51% actually has a vested interest in the district doing well and educating your children well and taking care of them and doing a good job. So now that we've made it clear that none of this is an attack on teachers, none of this is attack on the administration or the functionality of the school district itself. We're going to deal with the idea that the school districts work for the state. And as a state, they're going to be inefficient, impractical, and quite frankly, not responsive at all to the taxpayers. The people that actually have their children there, their customers, if you will. Don't believe me? Go to a school board meeting. Don't believe me? Go talk to your principal. Don't believe me? Deal with some other school administration. Now, again, the individuals, by and large, are probably quite nice and receptive and want to help you. I'm going to grant you that. But the process and the program and the administration is not set up to take care of the customer. Because there really isn't an effective opt-out option. Because even if you do leave the district, you, you put your kids in a private school, you put your kids in a homeschool situation, you're still paying to have that system work. And the way that system makes more money is by finding little Johnnies and little Marys that need additional help. Little Johnnies and little Marys that aren't well-adjusted, they thrive on finding problems and never actually solving them. It increases their budget, it increases their network, it increases their employees. There is zero benefit for them actually of fixing the problem. Now, this is not unique to the government education because this is government as a whole. We're just talking about the primary problem of having government run education. Now, I know there's a whole lot of people that see a problem with the profit motive. I know that there are some problems when you create metrics where you create bonuses based upon performance that can be, let's be honest, played with, right? You can play with those metrics to get the answer that you want to make sure you get your next quarterly bonus, right? So that's not really fair. It's not a level playing field. But how do you address that in a government school? How do you deal with it in government-run education? Well, there's a lot of people, proponents that say, you got to get the government out of education. Well, I happen to agree with that, but in the world that we live in, that's probably never, ever going to happen. So short of that, we have to be involved. So if you're a parent and you got a little Johnny or a little Mary and they're going to the local school district, you need to be willing to volunteer. You need to be willing to show up. You need to be willing to maybe look over curriculum. Now, not every parent can do this. Not every aunt or uncle can do this. Not every grandparent can do it. But can we get 10%, 15%, maybe 20% buy-in? I mean, if you're a stay-at-home mom, right, you're not working outside the house. Now, I understand a stay-at-home mom is essentially a full-time job, especially when you have little kids. I get it. But all your kids are in school. A good number of you do actually volunteer at school, but do you shut off your critical thinking skills when you get there because you can have a social hour with some friends? 
I'm just asking. I mean, don't you want to know what they're learning? Don't you want to know what's going on? I mean, I know we're supposed to trust the professionals. We're supposed to trust the experts. But when you have experts basically telling you that if your child can think for their own, they're harming the harmony of our collective society that is coming. And it would we want everybody to be interdependent. I'm paraphrasing John Dewey in case you're wondering. You should go look up some of the pioneers of public education and what they wanted to do through government schools. They weren't necessarily on your side or my side. These are the same kind of folks that are behind the World Economic Forum. The same kind of folks that tell you you're not going to own anything and we're going to make you happy. The same kind of folks that tell you you need to eat bugs. The same kind of folks that think that farms are the problem. These are the people that run government education. These are the people that we're trusting with the policies that we implement in our local school districts. Now, I'm going to assume that most administrators have no idea about this. I'm going to also assume that most teachers have zero idea about this. Now, they all go to their education schools and they all learn how to do it this way and that way. And this is the proper way and that's not proper way. So in some cases, they've already been predisposed and pre-programmed to do certain things without questioning, primarily because they'd like to keep their job. And quite frankly, they want their pension. And who can blame them, right? I mean, the job's tough. I mean, you want to deal with 30 to 50 unruly kids for eight hours a day? I mean, think about it. Does that sound entirely appealing to a whole lot of people? I'm going to guess not. But the other interesting thing is there's always a group of people that wants to become teachers. And why is that? Because they think it's a calling. They think it's something positive. And then when they get there, they get the truth. They get it beat out of them. They lose their desire to serve others. They, they don't want to deal with it. And maybe some of it is from the abusive parents. Maybe some of it is from the students that they can't be held accountable. Maybe some of it is because they do feel like they're being targeted. Or maybe some of it is they just don't feel like they get paid enough. And I, I can respect all of those arguments, but I don't hear much of that. So again, we're going to cycle back. You're the parent. It's your child. You've decided that you cannot make public school I'm sorry, you cannot make anything else work other than the public slash government school. You're going to put little Johnny or little Mary in those government schools. You have a vested interest right here and right now to be involved in that school. You need to know what it is little Johnny and little Mary is learning. You need to understand why it's applicable to their long-term growth. You need to understand what are the things are being introduced and whether or not you like them. Now, I got to tell you, there's a certain percentage where we're going to just be extremely generous and say less than 10% of educational professionals that think you as parents are nothing but an impediment, something in the way, something to be worked around, somebody that doesn't even understand what they're doing. They have no business having children, some of these people think. And like I said, we're being generous. We're going to say it's less than 10%. So obviously we don't want to condemn the entirety of the educational system because of this, but it does exist. And to pretend it doesn't is foolish. It's turning a blind eye to something that's quite obvious. I'm not at all comfortable with a child being raised to never question an adult, never question an authority figure, never question something they've been told. 
even in matters of faith, where you have to take it on faith, it's a belief. I encourage both of my daughters. I encourage the students I had when in youth group, you should question what's going on. You should work to understand these things. You shouldn't be afraid to have doubt. You need to understand why you believe and what you believe. It seems only right that when you're going through the educational process, you should learn the whole truth. Warts and all, if you will. There's nothing wrong with learning about bad things and good things side by side. Now, I know there are certain segments of my team that would love nothing more than for it to be rah, 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 go America 99 times out of 100. Okay, that's great. And in the face of boo, 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 75% of what you hear is anti-America, anti-Western world, anti-Christian. Yeah, okay, I can see where you would come from that point of view. I'm in the camp that says we need to train them up in wisdom and understanding what really happened. And let's be honest with ourselves. Depending who you're talking to, we got things wrong 25% of the time or 45% of the time. I don't know. Somewhere in there. But we got to be honest about our errors and honest about the mistakes and what we learned from them and how we improved. There should be no shame in that. When you're a kid, you do things wrong. And as you get older, you improve, you do better. Likewise, a country or civilization, as they grow, as they mature, they should be doing better. Now, I will tell you that, like most empires, we're actually going the opposite direction. And that should be worrisome. But we can't undo it by telling them another set of myths. And I feel... Uh, Let's see it. I feel it's not unfair to tell somebody the bitter truth about something and then explain why it's taught this way or understood this way. Because it was valuable to do at that that time. I mean, propaganda is real and always present. It's never, ever stopped or gone away. Why would we expect it should be something different? Because it's a historical thing that happened in these United States. Now, I'm a history poli-sci major. I graduated in 2004 with that degree, a double major, right? So I'm fairly familiar with mm, all things political and historical, particularly in the United States. That doesn't mean I know everything. No. Doesn't mean I know more than the average bear. Absolutely. Doesn't mean I have a pretty good understanding of how things work together. Yes. Yes, I do. But I get it wrong, and I'm smart enough to know that at times I get it wrong. Nor do I uh, try and convince somebody that you should trust me because I have a piece of paper that says, oh, I'm smarter than the average rare. Who cares? We should be able to observe what's going on. We should be able to understand what's going on. And that goes right here, right now. You show up at your local school district, and they're spending their time teaching little Mary. She can become a little Johnny. And if only you'll agree to go have this irreversible surgery that that's somehow good and appropriate. Now they say it's not happening. They deny it. They push back. They call you a liar, a loon. <laughs> Maybe they say you've been listening to QAnon. Who knows? Who cares? But it's happening. And I can't tell you for absolute certainty if it's going on in McKinney, Texas, because quite frankly, I'm not in every school all day. So I have no idea what exactly goes on in every school all day, every day. But what I can tell you is 
this stuff is being done. What I can tell you is our own legislature has sold us out and they refuse to block this stuff. Somehow we're supposed to be okay with this. How are we providing for our posterity if we're allowing them to be confused about the very nature of their existence, their design, and their birth? How are we providing for our posterity and giving them good things if they don't even know who they are? They don't even know what their plumbing means. I would suggest to you that's a problem. I would further suggest to you growing up to hate yourself, hate your country, and quite frankly, hate anybody that looks like you or sounds like you, that's a problem. Now, fortunately, fortunately, it's not a huge, huge problem in McKinney, Texas at this time. And it's not really a huge, huge problem in Collin County, Texas at this time. And guess what? In Texas, it's probably better than average because there's a whole lot of people here that love Texas first and foremost. So they're not going to play that way. But it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It doesn't mean it is an issue. And it doesn't mean it won't be introduced or shoved down our throats at some point. But you have to know about these things. You have to understand these things. You have to have a vested interest in your own children or grandchildren. And what are you going to do about it? So the old saying is that you can't fight City Hall. Well, I'm here to tell you that it looks like you really can't fight the school board either. Now, you're right. The state can make rules and can implement different um, changes, but they don't enforce it for reasons I don't understand. They don't punish the people that disregard their instructions and their laws. Now, if you or I were to do 10% of what some of these districts do, we would be locked up. We would be arrested. But the reality is that never really happens to people who have elected office. It never really happens to people that have a D after their name. And quite frankly, a lot of times with an R after their name. So what are we to think about this? Stay tuned. We'll talk about this some more. Until then, I will see you on the other side.